a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wild flower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. Hello and welcome to Discovery, the National Science Show. I'm Gina Sartori. This week, Adam tries to make sense of spina bifida and Tim goes out amongst his people and asks them what they reckon about global warming. First up, though, here's Dr. Branwen Morgan, yay, with the news. New research from Harvard Medical School and the Children's Hospital in Boston have found a naturally produced compound called inosine may help the brain bypass the damage done by a stroke, perhaps offering a way to keep patients from losing speech and use of their limbs. This research, published in the recent issue of the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, shows that inosine can stimulate the growth of new neurons in the brain. The researchers administered inosine to rats following stroke induction on one side of their brains. They found it could stimulate the intact nerve cells to extend and compensate for the cell death caused by the stroke. The growing neurons essentially bypassed the damaged area and gave the rats back limited use of their pores. Half of the inosine-treated rats used their stroke-affected pores to reach for food, in comparison with none of the untreated rats. Moreover, when the brains of the inosine-treated rats were examined under the microscope, new axons could be seen growing from the undamaged side of the brain into the spinal cord, in effect making up for the damage on the other side of the brain. So far, no one has been able to regenerate these dead cells, hence bypassing them as a therapeutic possibility. The researchers are now working with Boston Life Sciences, a company which licenses inosine, and are also negotiating with the American Food and Drug Administration to begin safety trials of inosine in people. Further research is needed, however, to determine how soon inosine must be given after a stroke occurs and for how long it must be infused into the body. From the didn't they learn anything from the Hindenburg file, Britain's meteorological office has predicted that huge airships hovering miles above major cities could replace satellites as providers of telephone and internet services in as little as five years. The thought behind this idea is that unmanned balloons would sit in the stratosphere between seven and a half and 37 miles above sea level. They would keep their position fixed by making use of solar-powered propellers and the vagaries of the weather in inner space. The major benefit for phone companies is that these blimps will cost a fraction of what it takes to send satellites up into space. In addition, blimps relaying mobile telephone signals would allay many of the health concerns over receiver masts placed near homes and offices. While the telecommunications technology has been tried and tested, the limitations of solar power and a rudimentary understanding of the stratospheric weather systems have held back the balloon's launch. The Met Office is working closely with two Britons who are attempting to fly a monster helium balloon to the edge of space this summer. It is hoped that meteorological tests carried out during the world record flight 
will improve high-altitude forecasting techniques and hasten the advent of commercial satellite balloons. The first cities to be served by the balloons would be those near the tropics, such as Singapore and Los Angeles, where the stratosphere's weather is more predictable and benign. The Met Office's work on the blimps is part of its recent efforts to expand its research into areas outside weather forecasting, including environmental sciences such as hydrology and oceanography. You're listening to Discovery, and now here's Adam Mark with the latest on spina bifida. A couple of close friends of mine recently lost a baby to spina bifida. Confused by this little condition, I consulted my neuroanatomy textbooks and the Spina Bifida Association of America website to try to explain to him and his partner the scientific basis. I'd like to share that knowledge with you as well. Spina Bifida is the most frequently occurring permanently disabling birth defect. It affects approximately one out of every 1,000 newborns. Spina bifida is the most common of the neural tube defects and one of the most devastating of all birth defects. Neural tube defects are serious birth defects that involve incomplete development of the brain, spinal cord and or protective coverings for these organs. There are three types of neural defects, anencephaly, encephalocele and spina bifida. Babies born with anencephaly have underdeveloped brains and incomplete skulls. Most infants born with anencephaly do not survive more than a few hours after birth. Encephalopathy results in a hole in the skull through which brain tissue protrudes. Although most babies with anencephaly do not live or are re severely retarded, early surgery has been able to save a few children. So let's get back to spina bifida. This condition results from the failure of the spine to close properly during the first month of pregnancy. In severe cases, the spinal cord produces, protrudes through the back and may be covered by skin or a thin membrane. Surgery, surgery to close a newborn's back is generally performed within 24 hours after birth to minimise the risk of infection and to preserve existing function in the spinal cord. Because of the paralysis resulting from the damage to the spinal cord, people born with spina bifida may need surgeries and other extensive medical care. The condition can also cause bowel and bladder complications. A large percentage of children born with spina bifida also have hydrocephalus, the accumulation of fluid in the brain. Hydrocephalus is controlled by a surgical procedure called shunting, which relieves the fluid buildup in the brain by redirecting it into the abdominal area. Most children born with spina bifida live well into adulthood as a result of today's sophisticated medical techniques. Women who have a child with spina bifida, have spina bifida themselves, or have already had a pregnancy affected by any neural tube defect, are at greater risk of having a child affected by spina bifida or another neural tube defect. It is a fallacy that children with spina bifida have learning problems. Some children with spina bifida do experience learning problems though. They may have difficulty with paying attention, expressing or understanding language, organising, sequencing and grasping reading and math. But then again, there are others who lead generally normal lives. It is possible to assist those with learning problems through early intervention to prepare these children for school. Students should be in the least restrictive environment and their day-to-day -day activities should be as normal as possible. It often helps to have a psychological evaluation 
which tests the child's intelligence, academic levels for reading, spelling and math, and basic learning abilities like visual perception, receptive and expressive language skills. Physically, children with spina bifida may need to learn mobility skills, and often with the use of crutches, braces or wheelchairs can achieve more independence. Also, with new techniques, children can become more independent in managing their bowel and bladder problems. Physical disabilities like spina bifida can have profound effects on the child's emotional and social development. It is important that healthcare professionals, teachers and parents understand the child's physical capabilities and limitations. To promote personal growth, they should encourage children, within the limits of safety and health, to be independent to participate in activities with their non-disabled peers and to assume responsibility for their own care. Special attention is needed to identify and treat secondary disabilities. Due to the wide range of neurological damage and mobility impairment, it can be difficult to identify some secondary disabilities. Attention should be focused on the psychological and social development of the child and young adults with spina bifida. Many recent studies, including the Spina Bifida Association of America's Adult Network Survey, clearly indicate the presence of emotional problems that result from factors such as low self-esteem and lack of social skills training. Examples of secondary conditions associated with Spina Bifida are latex allergy, tendonitis, obesity, skin breakdown, gastrointestinal disorders, learning disabilities, attaining and re retaining mobility, depression and social and sexual issues. The secondary response of latex allergy is an allergic response to latex or rubber products. Typical symptoms include watery eyes, wheezing, hives, rash, swelling, and in severe cases, anaphylaxic, a life-threatening reaction. These responses can occur when items containing latex touch the skin. The mucous membranes, like the mouth, genitals, bladder, or rectum, open areas of bloodstream, especially during surgery. While it's not known exactly how this allergy develops, anybody can develop a latex allergy. However, certain groups of individuals have been identified as having a greater risk of becoming latex allergic. Those at higher risk include people who are frequently exposed to latex, such as children and adults with spina bifida, and health professionals. Research has shown that spina bifida patients have the potential to become allergic to some degree to latex. Anyone with latex allergy should avoid exposure to all products that contain latex. Catheters, elastic bandages, baby bottle nipples, pacifiers and balloons are just a few common products that contain latex. For a more extensive list of items containing latex often found at home in your community and in hospitals, contact your doctor. If you're in doubt about any specific product, check with its distributor or manufacturer. Although birth defects can happen in any family, many things can affect a pregnancy, including family genes and things women may come in contact with during pregnancy. Recent studies have shown that folic acid is one factor that may reduce the risk of having a neural tube defect baby. As I mentioned earlier, women who are at high risk of having a child with a neural tube defect may need to get a prescription of folic acid before trying to become pregnant, so it's important to plan any future pregnancy. So what is folic acid and what does it do? Well, folic acid is a water, common water-soluble B vitamin and is essential for the functioning of the human body. During periods of rapid growth, such as pregnancy and fetal development, the body's requirements for this vitamin increases. Folic acid can be found in multivitamins, fortified breakfast cereals, dark green leafy vegetables such as broccoli and spinach, egg yolks, and some fruits and fruit juices. However, the average diet does not supply the recommended level of folic acid. 
Taking folic acid cannot guarantee having a healthy baby, but it can help. Taking folic acid before and during early pregnancy reduces the risk of spina bifida and other neural tube defects. Here's what you can do. Take a vitamin 400 micrograms of folic acid every day. This amount is also written as 0.4 milligrams. All women should take this amount every day while not planning to become pregnant. If you have a child with spina bifida or have spina bifida yourself or have had a history of pregnancy affected by any neural tube defect and you are thinking about becoming pregnant, you need a higher dose of folic acid. You should take 4,000 micrograms of folic acid by prescription for one to three months before becoming pregnant. This amount is also written as point of 0.4 milligrams. Taking this amount of folic acid by prescription may reduce the chance of a neural tube defect like spina bifida in future pregnancies. Do not take this folic acid by taking more multivitamins because too much of some of the other vitamins could harm you and your future baby. So, as my mother always told me, plan your next pregnancy. Speak with your doctor about your personal risk of having a baby with a neural tube defect. You may need to get a prescription for folic acid before you become pregnant. And for more information about spina bifida, you should talk to your doctor or you could check out the Spina Bifida Association of America's website which is www.sbaa.org. You're listening to Discovery, the national science show. Stay tuned for the voices of the people and their take on global warming. Hi, this is Douglas Adams. I'm the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I'm here to urge you to listen to the National Science Program on Discovery. And now Tim Baines and his tape recorder go forth to ask some questions about global warming, like, does it exist or not? If it does exist, would it be happening anyway, or is it all our fault? Is the world's weather changing? Sounds like a rhetorical question, and to many, it is. Of course the global weather is changing. Just look at the data. Well, therein is the problem. We have more scientific information on our planet's weather than we have ever had before in history. But how it's presented and how it's used by the media makes the data pretty mercurial stuff. This is especially so when you consider how the environment has become a political issue and we have to think about how much we affect the global weather and what decisions we should make to maintain the habitable planet we currently enjoy. Consider this example. The record of the climate past locked away in an old ice sample tells us that the sea levels have been rising over the last century. To be fair, you would have to concede that sea levels have actually been rising for the last 3,000 years. So is this a natural occurrence or is it due to some human influence? Well, to be more specific, it should be said that the average rate of recent sea level rise, about a millimetre per year, is 10 times the average for the previous 2,900. Of course, with a system as big as the world's weather, there is rarely a clean distinction between natural environmental cycles and our own influence. And this is exactly where the media and politicians can take advantage of the scientists' dedication to being truthful. Some would say this advantage has already been taken too far. Bjorn Lomborg is an associate professor in statistics at the University of Aarhus, Denmark, and late last year he released his book, The Skeptical Environmentalist. In it, he discusses the misuse of scientific data, and in reviewing the statistics of on the state of our environment, he found that actually some things have got better. In fact, I quote, The world is not without problems, but on almost all accounts, he says, things are going better, and they are likely to continue do, to do so into the future. Perhaps I am misusing Bjorn Lomborg's words, but there but as might be well expected, the book did not meet with critical acclaim from environmentalists. 
Lomborg's claim that forestation is actually increasing was countered by David Bellamy, president of the Conservation Foundation. And I quote again, David Bellamy said, It's true that forests are being planted at an increasing rate, but all too often it's the wrong sort of growth. It's eucalyptus and pine, which are fast buck trees, grown for profit. They cause immense destruction to river catchments. Charles Secret, executive director of Friends of the Earth, has commented that Lomborg disagrees with the estimates of possible temperature rises made by the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. He describes them as plainly unlikely, although in reviewing its own data, the same intergovernmental panel says that the climate change will probably happen at a faster rate than was previously believed. So, consultants, scientists, journalists, presidents and Bjorn Lomborg may all have different opinions about the environment. But how has the information reached the person in the street? I went to talk to some of the people in the street, literally, in Katoomba during the Blue Mountains annual, annual winter solstice festival. Okay, we're in Katoomba Street and I'm talking to... Drew Kersey. How you doing? Uh, I'm just asking people, uh, do you think the world's weather has changed or is going to change? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Totally convinced. Do you think it's a, a natural cycle, or is it is man-made this change? Um, well, I think that everything goes in cycles, including weather. But I don't think that um, humankind has helped in terms of global warming. It's happening very quickly. It's a real worry. Okay. How do you see the maybe the global changes? Do you think they happen, they're going to happen so quickly they may affect you? Uh, yeah, I do. In fact, I, I see that they already do affect me and, and people around me. I mean, um, yeah, in terms of, of UV radiation and, and so forth. Yeah. yeah, the whole ozone and people, you know, having to watch skin cancer. And yeah, like food crops and yeah. yeah, so on. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. It was just very short. It is. Okay. Have you got anything else you want to say? Please throw it. Um, yeah, I, I think um, that. Uh, the change in the climate is is a result in in our, um, our from our lifestyles, um, and the, the problem with with our lifestyles in general is that we've made earth and and land uh, a commodity rather than sharing it around um, like like air and and water. It's it's a birthright, and um, uh, I, I think that if if we could make it available once again. Um, we could put the earth element back into the equation and, and balance everything else out. Since that's out of balance, we've got water out of balance. We're buying bottles of water to drink and, and it's not great water either. Um, acid rain, ozone depletion, it's all related to, to the lifestyles that we're living. No land, no life. Tell me, uh, who am I talking to here? Natalie. Um, Natalie and Mark. Mike. Mark. Sorry. Mark. Sorry, Mark. Um, tell me, do you think the world's weather is going to change in the future? Yes, definitely. Definitely. You can see it every year, it's getting worse and it's all over the place and it's hard to predict. And you, Mark? Yeah, I think so, gradually. Do you think it's natural or man-made, the, the future possible man -made, changes? Man-made, definitely man-made. Man-made? Yeah. Did you know that this summer we've got a possible El Nino coming up again? No, I didn't know that. They happen about every four or five years. But this one's supposed to be not as bad as the, the last one. The last one was something like the worst in 125 years. Um, just quickly, what do you think 
the, the weather changes, how they will affect you? Um, well, it's not that they really affect me, but, I mean, what can I really do about it? The damage has been done and it's still, the world's still being damaged and it's just going to get worse and I, I can't say that it doesn't worry me because it does because I have to live here, but I can't do anything about it to fix it, so I just let it go and whatever happens, happens. Okay. What do you think will happen to the world's weather in the future? Um, it's going to change slowly, isn't it? Changing slowly, yeah. I mean, over thousands of years. Do you think, I mean, is global warming a reality? I believe it is. Um, there is some signs that I can feel that in my lifetime you can sort of start feeling that there's a pattern changing. Yeah. Do you think it's mostly uh, natural occurrences, natural cycles or man-made? I think that's the trick, isn't it, to work out what the two differences are. Um, but yeah, I think that some of it is man-made. I think it's almost proven now. I think they can scientifically prove it. All right. Here we are in the main business of uh, Katoomba Street in their fabulous Winter Magic Festival. Talking to a local, I think. Local, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm guessing it's local. You should see what she's wearing, folks. It's sensational. Okay, so I'm talking to... Uh, Vicky. Vicky. Hi, Vicky. Um, we're just asking people... Uh, do you think the world's weather has changed or is going to change? Um, well, do I think? I mean, from my own experience, I think it has here. I don't know about other places, but it seems to be. The season's a bit out of whack. Yeah, I mean, do you think that's a natural thing, like El Nino, or do you think it's a man-made cause, like from the greenhouse gas emissions? Well, I think it's greenhouse effect. Do you think... The changes could come really quickly, could, you know, uh, in your yeah, lifetime there could be... I think so, yeah, like islands going underwater and stuff like that. I mean, isn't there a big bit of a ice cap, you know, didn't it break off and floating around the sea or something? Uh, not just one bit, two bits, <laughs> very <laughs> recent, bits. yeah, true. Yeah, well, there you go. And, you know, it must be, don't worry about, you know, islands, as coral reefs. How you doing, mate? Uh, we're just asking people, do they think the world's weather is changing? Yeah, I do. On, on a global level? Yeah, because Antarctica's melting and all that and changing all our weather. Did you know there's another El Nino thing coming our way in um, summer this year? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> all right, thanks, mate. You're studying environment, a master's in environment science, is that right? Environmental management, that's right. Okay, so environmental management. Okay, i just ask you a few questions about what people think is going to happen to the global weather. Do you think the global weather, the world's weather, is going to change in the future? Absolutely. I'm a firm believer in climate change or the fact that the humans are changing the climate very, very quickly. And I think that we'll see a lot more um, extreme storm events, um, the spread of tropical disease because of that. So, yeah, we're certainly having an impact. How much of it do you think is, is an, a natural event, thing that occurs in, say, you know, cycles every 10,000 years or something? Oh, well, there's certainly, the greenhouse effect um, certainly exists naturally, but the humans are speeding it up so quickly it's almost exponential. Did you know that this summer we're due for another El Nino effect? Uh, what last one was about four or five years ago, and we've got another one coming up. Yep, um, El Nino does usually cycle like that. It's, you know, it has some pretty severe impacts on Australia's farming, so it's fairly important. How do you think the global weather changes might affect you? Me personally? Well, I guess in, in a good way it'll keep me in business for a while. <laughs> um, but beyond that, I, I mean, 
living up here in the Blue Mountains, it'll probably have a fairly severe impact on we won't see so much of the beautiful snow weather that we like so much up here. So. That's just about all we have time for this week. If you loved us, hated us, couldn't understand us, or just want to show us the error of our ways, why not get in touch? You can call us on 029-514-9514, or you could email us at discovery at 2SER.com. That's discovery at 2SER.com. You've been listening to Discovery, and this week you heard Branwyn Morgan, Adam Mark, and Tim Baines and his flock. Discovery was produced in the studios of 2SER Sydney by Tim Baines with technical support from Lachlan Watmore. And it's broadcast nationally on ComradeSat by the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. I'm Gina Sartori. Tune in for more science next week. More smoothness, more science next week on 2SER at 8 o'clock.